The text of the sermon this morning is the word of the Lord as we read it in 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 to 15. Let's read those verses again. And then, and then after the sermon, and we'll, read, we'll sing Psalm 128, verses 1, 2, and 3, and standing if you are able. So verses 11 to 15 of 1 Timothy 2. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, and then Eve. But the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the first things you get to hear when a baby is born is, it's a boy or it's a little girl. And then out come the pink blankets or the blue blankets, the jumpsuits with cars and trucks or dinosaurs for boys, and the cute little dresses or shirts with love hearts for the girls. But from then, things seem to get confused. We live in a world where the men no longer seem to know what it means to be a man and a woman no longer seems to know what it means to be a woman. And we live in a world where you are in danger of being called sexist and bigoted and out of touch with modern day society for daring to suggest that there really is a difference. However, in Matthew 19 verse four, the Lord Jesus quoted from Genesis one verse 27, saying that in the beginning, God made the male and female. And we know from scripture that when the Bible says God made the male and female, he means more than that men and women have different body parts. Men and women are equal, both created in the image of God. But men and women are not identical, and nor are their roles identical. One of the disastrous consequences of the feminist movement is that their attempt to have women equally represented to men in the workforce, equally represented in position of leadership, and no longer the primary caregiver in the home, is that women have by and large been stripped of their unique identity and they have lost their special place in society. Stay at home mums, many of you know what I'm talking about. When you need to fill out a form and are asked what your occupation is, you hesitate for a moment, not quite knowing what to write down. What do I call myself now? Just a mum, a housewife, a domestic engineer? And if you stay at home for most of, the, most of the time, but do a bit of outside work for one or two days a week, then what do you put down as your occupation? And woe unto you who stay home if you have no children or the youngest is already in school, for then you are seen as a burden and not as a benefit to society. Never mind, many never mind the many things you do, not just at home, but also at school, the church and the community at large. And at the same time, as women are losing their special role in society, men are having an identity crisis of their own. For men are no longer encouraged to be leader and provider for the family, taking the initiative and giving good direction, loving their wives just as Christ loves his church. Rather, anything you can do, she can do better. But what does the Bible say? This morning we turn to God's word to 1 Timothy 2, verse 11 to 15, which describes the respective roles of men, and in particular, women in the church. 
where when we learn that a woman is to learn in silence with all submission, and that she is not permitted to teach or have authority over a man, we need to understand these words in the broader context of God's high calling for both men and women, and in the broader context of the gospel. For while the culture says to our mothers and daughters, if you are not in charge, also in church, you don't really count. You are inferior to men and not really valued. The gospel says that your identity is not in what you do, but your identity is in Christ. And although we are all one in Christ, we are not all alike. But to each, God has given certain tasks and responsibilities as we live in submission to him. So I preach to you the word of God from 1 Timothy 2, verse 11 to 15, under the following theme. The gospel shapes the respective roles of men and women in the church. And we'll see two things. We'll see one, a clear command and a right understanding. So first of all, a clear command. Using texts such as 1 Timothy 2, verse 11 to 15, the feminist movement has claimed that not only is the Bible sexist, but that it encourages the ongoing subjection of women. That is not true. In the first place, it would be good to point out here that what the world teaches about authority and headship is different to what the Bible says. Whereas the world thinks the authority and headship has to do with status, the Bible teaches us that it has to do with service. Just as Christ, who is the head of the church, loved the church and gave himself up for her, so the husband, who is the head of his wife, must love his wife and cherish her. The fact that the husband is called to be the head of his wife does not make him superior to the wife, nor is a minister or elder superior to all the other men or women in the congregation. But there is more to be said, for the Bible emphasizes the high position of women in particular. In Genesis 1 verse 27, we learn that God created both the man and the woman in his image. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. When this was taught to God's people of old, they would have sat up and taken notice. In those days, in the nations around Israel, the kings were seen to be sons of the gods since they had power. Women, on the other hand, had almost no power or status at all. But the Bible teaches us that both men and women are created in the image of God. Further, when Christ came to the earth, he came to redeem women just as much as he came to redeem men. And going against the culture of that time, our Lord Jesus Christ met with, spoke to, and helped many women. And when Mary was sitting at his feet as though she was one of his disciples, while Martha was busy in the kitchen, the Lord Jesus approved of this saying that she had chosen that good part which would not be taken away from her. The New Testament describes the godly faith of various women, even contrasting them to unbelieving men. And so, so while Zechariah the priest responded in unbelief when he was told that his old wife Elizabeth would have a son, Mary responded in faith, saying, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word, when the angel Gabriel told her that she would be the mother of the Lord Jesus. And then in the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out on both men and women, and they spoke about the wonderful works of God. Referring to this, the apostle Peter quoted from the prophet Joel, where God said that in the last days, 
I will pour out my spirit in all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in, do yeah, in, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And the book of Acts describes the ministry of women such as Dorcas, who served the saints and helped the widows in Acts 9. Of the four unmarried daughters of Philip, the evangelist, who prophesied, Acts 9, 21, verse 9, and of Priscilla, who along with her husband Aquila, taught Apollos, explaining the way of God more accurately to him. We read that in Acts 18, verse 26. And then there are many women who are mentioned in the letters of Paul, who had labored in the Lord with him. And then let us not forget the two women who were so influential in Timothy's life, his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, through whom he first heard the word of God. And so the Bible clearly teaches that women and men are both equal in status and both women and men have a clear role to play in the church. For as Galatians 3 verse 28 teaches us, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. But being equal does not make us identical, nor does it take away the specific roles that God gives to men and women in the church. And it appears as though this had become a problem for the church of Ephesus, where Timothy was to minister. From Paul's first letter to Timothy, it is clear that there were false teachers who were leading the people down the wrong path and not in conformity with the gospel. This false teaching affected many things, including the biblical and, tra and traditional roles of men and women. 1 Timothy 4 verse 3 says that they were forbidding people to marry, and 1 Timothy 3, 5 verse 15 says that some women were listening to this, with the result that the younger widows did not remarry, have children, and manage their households, but rather became idle gossips and busybodies. And some had even left the faith and turned aside to Satan. Further, we can learn from 1 Timothy 2 that both the men and women were failing to conduct themselves in a right manner in the worship services. For this reason, Paul instructed the men in chapter 2, verse 8, to pray everywhere, that is, to pray in a place of worship. The men, not the women, were to be the spiritual leaders in the church, and so Paul called them to step up to the plate, to act like godly men, to take the initiative, and to lead the congregation in prayer and worship. But when they prayed, they must do so in all godliness and in holiness. The women, meanwhile, were instructed in verse 9 to adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and, moder and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Now, this does not teach us that a woman could never wear pearls or a gold necklace or have braided hair. What this does teach us, however, is that the women were called to be modest and godly. And for women to be modest and godly, this will be seen in the way that they present themselves. It is commonly agreed that the way that women were dressing up, including their lavish hairstyles, was to a certain extent an act of defiance and an expression of independence from their husbands. They were making a statement, asserting themselves and drawing attention to themselves in a manner that was not fitting for godly women, living out of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why Paul instructed them to rethink their wardrobes and rethink their hairdos, so that how they presented themselves on the outside reflected the godliness 
that was to be there on the inside. And then we come to 1 Timothy 2, verse 11 and 12. Let a woman learn in quietness with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. First of all, there is the positive command. Let a woman learn. I say this is a positive command because it would not have been taken for granted that women were expected to learn at all. In the Roman world, women were considered to be academically inferior to men, and for many, the education of women was considered a waste of time. Further, in the Jewish context, women were not instructed to learn either. One Jewish source, the Babylonian Talmud, said concerning the difference between men and women in worship, the men came to learn, the women came to hear. Compare that to how Christ exalted the position of women by commending Mary, who sat at his feet like a regular disciple, listening to his teaching. But the emphasis of 1 Timothy 2, verse 11 and 12 is not so much on the fact that women are to learn, but rather that they are not to teach or to have authority over a man. And from 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, it is clear that Paul means this within the context of the local church, and we cannot water this command down, nor may we dismiss it as applicable to Paul in Timothy's day or to the church in Ephesus and not to our day here in the church in Edmonton. While men and women are equal in the eyes of God, they are not identical. And when it comes to teaching and having authority in the church, a woman is not to teach a man, nor is she to assume a position of authority over him. More concretely, we can only, we can only have male office bearers, that is ministers, elders, and deacons, and women are not to take on these roles within the church. Rather, they are to, remain, they are to be silent, quiet, and be in submission. And this describes not so much a lack of talking, but of how a woman is to come to church. 1 Peter 3 verse 4 tells women that their adornment should be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Women then must respect the leadership of the, and the authority that God has given to the ministers and elders of the church. They should learn, but they should not teach. Now, this not, does not mean that women are not to teach at all, nor are they to be completely silent at all times. Not only are the older women to teach the younger women, but Paul says further in, in 1 Timothy that they, that is the older, the older widows at least, are to pray night and day and to help and minister to their families and to others in the church. And outside of the official gathering of God's people, they are to speak about the gospel, albeit in a non-authoritative way, and even as Priscilla did with her husband Aquila in the context of her home, teaching others about God's glorious gospel. But in the context of the church, the household of faith, women are not to teach, nor are they to have authority over a man. And why not? Not because women are in some way inferior to men. We know that they are not. Not because women are more gullible and less able to discern the truth from error. That is not true. But the simple answer is that women are not to teach or to have authority over a man in the context of God's church because God says so, and that should be enough. But Paul does give a further reasoning pointing to both creation and the fall into sin, and we will see that further in our second point. So our second point, a right understanding. 
Since the fall into sin, there has been a tension between the roles of men and women. In Genesis 3, verse 16, God said to the woman, your desire shall be toward your husband, but he shall rule over you. I'm inclined to agree with those Bible commentators who conclude that Eve's desire for her is for her husband's place, his position, while her husband in turn will use his superior strength to dominate his wife. Here the relationship between the husband and the wife, the man and the woman, becomes one of bondage and domination. It is where the wife rejects her husband's authority and the husband attempts to subjugate his wife. But that was not how it was from the beginning, nor is that how those who live out of the gospel of God's grace are to conduct themselves. In the beginning, the man and the woman were created equal, but they were not created identical. Adam was formed first, 1 Timothy 13 says, and then Eve. And Eve was created to be a helper for her husband, so that together they might complete the work that God had given them to do. Adam was formed first. Once again, that does not mean that he was superior, but it does mean that he was created to be the head of the household, that he was spiritually responsible for his family. Prior to the fall of, into sin, therefore, the man's chief responsibility was to work, to be a provider for his family, to nurture and care for them. Prior to the fall, the woman's first calling was that of childbearing and caring for her family. Now, after the fall, things changed so that Adam's work became toilsome labor. He would, he would contend with thorns and thistles, and he would eat bread in the sweat of his face. And after the fall, things changed so that Eve would experience pain and heartache in what was to have been a most glorious calling, and she would suffer pain in childbirth. But the principle of headship of the man over the woman the husband over the wife that was there from the creation would continue. And this principle of headship would be seen not only in the marriage relationship, but also in the church. And this principle is for our good. For where it is rejected and the created order between men and women is ignored, society will suffer, families will suffer, and the church will suffer. That is what happened when Eve took the fruit and gave some to Adam when they fell into sin. 1 Timothy 2 verse 14 says, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. You need to understand this correctly. Paul is not blaming Eve for the fall into sin, as though it was her fault and poor Adam was sucked in. Rather, when Eve took the fruit and ate it, and then gave some to her husband, the created order of the man being the head of his family and the woman being his helper was set aside. And instead of Adam showing true headship, he stood by while she was being deceived. And when Adam sinned, while Eve might have been deceived, he sinned knowing what he was doing. And therefore, when the Lord God came to the garden, he came not looking for Eve, but he came to the man. Genesis 3 verse 9 says, but the Lord called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Adam was the responsible head of his wife, but Adam failed, and that led to the fall into sin and the consequences of all that. And that should be a lesson to us today. What we read in 1 Timothy 2 is not just a word for the women, but also for the men. It is an important word for the men of our day, also for the men of this church. For men, where are you? 
It is your job to lead both in the home and also in the church. You are called to show true spiritual headship. Are you doing that? We read from Titus 2, older men, you are called to be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love and in patience. What are you doing? How are you living so that you grow in these things? And if you are married and have a family, lead your family in the right way. And how are you growing so that you might also be in the position, should you be called to do so, to lead God's church in a responsible manner? Young men, Titus too instructs you to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say to you. Is that how you are living? Is that what you are striving for? Why is it that women so often show more spiritual maturity at times, even leadership, than the men? Is it the fault of our women or is it the fault of our men that we are not taking God's word seriously, that we are not being men, that, that we are not being the men that God, God calls us to be? To be a man is more than having a love for beer and football. To be a man is more than getting out on a bike or working out in the gym. In fact, you can be a man and not do any of, those, any of those things at all. To be a man is to take on the role of headship that God has given you, to either prepare for it or to practice it. Older men, are you doing that in the place that God has put you? Younger men, are you preparing for that? Or are you wasting your youth on worthless pursuits? on spending your years as one who has no commitments and no desire to grow? Are you growing in faith and in knowledge, obedient to God's call on your life, or have you set, a, set that aside to waste these years in playing your online games, or, God forbid, something even worse? You see, just as Adam had no leg to stand on when he blamed Eve for, for the fall into sin, so we have no leg to stand on if we as men fail to show true leadership and the godliness that is expected of us. And sisters, Titus 2 tells you what to do also. Older women, you are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers. Yes, you can and you should teach. Teachers of good things, that you admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God might not be blasphemed, Titus 2, verse 3 and 4. Are you doing these things? You see, your minister is a man, and, he is, and it is not for him to visit these young mothers at home during the day to tell them how to be a godly housewife. That's your job, sisters. Tend one another and encourage one another to live according to the gospel. Let us be careful that we do not ignore the things that we are commanded to do in an, in an attempt to do that which we should not do. But 1 Timothy 2 does not end there. It goes on to say in verse 15, yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. This is a challenging Bible verse and there are a number of interpretations given to it. What I think it means, however, is that, that women will walk in the way of salvation, not as those false teachers of Ephesus taught, by adorning their, their roles of being wives and mothers and in being these things, but godly wives, raise your children to love 
and fear God and manage your household well. This does not mean, however, that the women are saved by having children. Nor are you less of a woman and less a part of the church if you are unmarried or if you have not received any children. We need to be sensitive to that, particularly in a church such as this one, where we are blessed with so many families and relatively large ones. 1 Corinthians 7 teaches that those who are single or widowed, and we may include those who have not received children, are in no way lesser in God's church, but rather, like the Apostle Paul himself, you may use the position that you, that, that you are in to serve God in different ways. But the point 1 Timothy 2 verse 15 makes is that the gospel in no way overthrows the respective roles of men and women, nor the high calling of being a wife and a mother. To the contrary, the gospel confirms these things. We live in a confused world where God-ordained distinction between male and female is no longer accepted. But God has ordained that men be men and women be, be women, and he has ordained it in, in this way for our good. So let us live as men, let us live as women in submission to God's word. Men, be the leaders you are called to be, and women, submit to those whom God has placed over you, learning in quietness in faith, love, and holiness. For in this way you will be blessed, and God's name will be praised. Amen.